You're listening to the Outdoor Photography Podcast, episode 53. Today, we're sitting down with Iowa-based photographer and educator, Justin Tedford, to talk about passion projects, photography as a side hustle, connecting with your subjects, and a whole lot more. So stay tuned. Hi, I'm Brenda Petrella, the creator of Outdoor Photography School. Join me as I sit down with top landscape and nature photographers and outdoor industry experts to chat about creativity, composition, photography tips and techniques, essential gear, safety in the outdoors, respect for nature, and so much more. Tune in every week to learn how to create compelling and impactful images while exploring and enjoying the natural world. Welcome to the Outdoor Photography Podcast. Hello, my friends, Brenda Petrella here, here to help you create better images and reconnect with nature. Thanks so much for tuning in and sharing a part of your day with me today. Today is a special day because we just passed our one year anniversary of when I published the trailer for the Outdoor Photography Podcast, and it has been quite a journey. When I decided to start this podcast, my goal was twofold. One, to create and share educational photography content in a format that felt more intimate than creating YouTube videos, which is what I was doing prior to this, and likely we'll get back to at some point. And two, to connect with other passionate photographers and provide them with a way to share their perspectives and stories with you. I had no idea whether people would actually listen to the podcast or whether it would have a positive impact. So I wanted to take a moment to thank all of you who have been loyal listeners and have supported the show by leaving a rating and review or buying me a coffee through the link on the podcast website or simply by sharing the show with a friend. I'm so happy to say that thanks to you, the podcast has grown beyond my wildest expectations and it is reaching more and more listeners each week. In fact, last week, we were the top-ranking photography podcast on Apple Podcasts in the arts and visual art categories, which just completely blows my mind. I could not be doing this without you, so thank you so much for your support, and I'm really excited for the year ahead. I'm excited to introduce you to today's guest, Justin Tedford. While Justin has had a lifelong passion for photography, unlike many of the guests we've had on the show lately, Justin's photography business is his side hustle. So let me give you a little background on Justin before we roll the interview. Justin is a photographer, husband, father, and photo educator from rural Iowa. He grew up exploring the hills and back roads near his grandparents' farm and family farms and agricultural communities that surrounded him helped to shape his style and passion for photographing his home state. While he has dabbled in a number of visual arts since childhood, his passion for photography wasn't ignited until he took a class in high school. And today, Justin shares that passion with others through teaching and mentoring, as well as through pursuing personal photography projects, which we discuss in detail in our interview. And so without further ado, please enjoy my conversation with Justin Tedford. Justin, welcome to the Outdoor Photography Podcast. Thank you so much for taking the time to come on the show today and share with us some of your stories and expertise and things like that. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. 
So for the listeners who are not yet familiar with you and your work, I was wondering if you could start us off by telling us a little bit about yourself. So who is Justin and how did you eventually find yourself behind a camera one day? That is a great, that is always a great question. Um, <laughs> it really started out. So I, I struggle with the whole, am I an artist or am I a photographer? Um, mm -hmm. Because if you go to my Facebook page, it says I'm an artist and as I think it's because they don't have a spot for a photographer. So that was the closest <laughs> thing I could come up with. And, you know, we were briefly chatting about professional photographers of Iowa. And mm -hmm. I had taken a, uh, a breakout session with Tom Rouse, I believe is his name. And very big into like a Photoshop-y kind of guy. And he says, the first thing you need to do is declare yourself an artist, not a photographer. So I'm going to start calling myself an artist. So I think that's what we truly are. So yeah. I think if we, we go back way back in time. I kind of started out as an artist. I used to paint and I drew, did all these oh, different nice. things and watercolor. That was my thing. Like in high school, I took every class there was available, oil painting, watercolor. And then I needed what I tell people an easy A. So everybody's like, take photography. I'm like, okay, whatever. And I fell <laughs> in love with it. I mean, I'm like, I think it was that whole darkroom thing. You know, you throw, you, yeah. you create a, a photograph, throw it in the, you know, your developer and it just appears. And then somebody's like, you're kind of good at this. I'm like, oh, okay, whatever. So that's where I started. I mean, it was that kind of passion. And I got into, I you know, I'm from Iowa. So I've always lived in Iowa. So I grew up in Western Iowa uh -huh. and kind of a beautiful place. Most people think we're a flyover state and that's okay. But that's how I <laughs> got like, started. You're like, keep on going. It's fine. Just go. Yeah. Yeah. You just keep on going. So for me, I kind of got into it, but I got into the world of, I wanted to be a photojournalist. You know, mm. I fell in love mm -hmm. with Thomas Mangelson's work. He had a gallery yeah. in Omaha. If you're yeah. not familiar with him, yeah, the, the wildlife yeah. guy. And that's what I was going to do. I was going to be a wildlife photographer. And then that hit me like a brick. That is probably not going to happen. Um, that's a lot of, as a full-time gig. So then I got in a photojournalism world and that's where I really started out more. I was shooting like, oh, somebody, the local newspaper is like, you want to take some photos for us? Sure. And then I really got the bug then because I was like, I started seeing my work published and it wasn't even mm, any good. Yeah. Um, and it, I shot basketball on film. I got 24 exposures. That's all I got to shoot an entire basketball game. So that's wow. how I, for me, it kind of rolled into a passion. Then I got into the landscape because I feel like as photographers, we kind of end up, I think, maybe photographing what, what we have available to us. And mm -hmm. for me, it was the Midwest. So now, fast forward like, 20 something years, 15 years, whatever it is, who's counting, um, <laughs> you know, but that's what I photograph. And people look at me and say, Oh, you live in the Midwest. There's nothing to photograph. There's a lot to photograph. If, you know, I don't have, you know, Grand Teton National Park out my back backyard or anything, but I think right, we, yeah. as we develop, we just photograph what we, what we have in front of us. And I think that's how some people get into, you know, I dabbled in weddings in the portrait world and that, that's okay. But it's just crazy where, how we develop and what we do. So for me, it's the Midwest and the landscape. So if you look at a lot of my stuff on my website, it's all rural. It's barns. I mean, I, I get out to national parks here and there. I'll be hitting Glacier in June, but I think oh, nice. that's just kind of where everything kind of rolled from. Yeah. And so with all that diverse background in photography, um, you know, what, how, how do, would you say these different genres of photography have helped influence how you approach the landscape? And how you see light and things like that. Yeah, that's a good question because 
like I said, I started out in the world of photojournal. I kind of shoot landscapes like I was a photojournalist in that like aspect where I'm like, I machine gun it. Like I'm, I'm not your typical landscape photographer. I have a tripod, but you barely mm-hmm. see me use it. Some people look at oh, me funny. Um, unless I got to like, you know, slow shutter speed work, you know, right. things like that. I will. But I think a lot of that has just influenced me from, you know, like I said, where I kind of grew up and started from. Right. And that's all. And it's kind of weird. I go, like I say, I don't do portraits, but a lot of that I do farmer portraits now for mm-hmm. a project that I work on and all that. I think when you start looking at things from experience, so I was talking in my spiel with PPI where everything we photograph and skill sets is weird how I will look at light. Like I'm big into ICM a lot. Mm-hmm. I do a lot of the intentional camera movement stuff. And when I first started that to me, it was just supposed to be easy. I didn't think I, it would be an easy genre of photography because I wouldn't need to, it's, I don't have to look at light or shape or color or texture or how the landscape is, you know, flowing one way or the other, but it really did. And mm-hmm. all these yeah. little things just kind of stack up and, and build up overall. Yeah. I find that with ICM that it actually makes me see shapes and colors and well, I guess mostly shapes and colors mm-hmm. m- more so when there's that movement a- aspect added to the photo. And I look back and I'm like, oh, that's that's where all the contrast is. That's where the light's coming from. Or that's, you know, it helps me see it in a way. Yes. Kind of yeah, blurs it all out. Yeah. Yeah. Because at, so at first kinda, I just, I thought there was one movement to ICM that was up and down. Right. And then I started like looking at the landscape and like those hills, they roll. So then I started matching my camera movement, trying to match the rolling of the hills. Oh, nice. And then, yeah. you know, lighting still plays a big big part because that gives you even in a in theory well it is a blurry image but right how light shapes <laughs> right you know the the landscape how that all blends together in the end as well yeah sometimes i call it the unintentional camera movement yes <laughs> so like it's a high uh loss rate i guess um it is or you nail everything that you love about it but the sky is just a smidge blown out and you can't yes. recreate the same exact thing yeah i was doing that recently on a little hike that i went on and it was it's this um wooded area near my house that is full of maple trees and it's just absolutely beautiful and there's for some reason there's not a lot of undergrowth in the forest like there mm-hmm. tends to be around here so it's pretty clean just trees these beautiful maple trees and, um, and I had the idea of, oh, I think these will make great, a great ICM. And I spent like probably an hour just trying <laughs> to get something that looked half decent. And like the idea was there. I, I think it has a lot of potential, but just a lot of repetition to get, get that one combination of shutter speed and your movement that actually works, you know, yeah, it's like 150 photographs. And then you get one, maybe two that you really like, right? or you nail half of it and not all of it. And then you can't recreate it. Yeah, exactly. So, so is photography a full-time gig for you or is, is it your like side gig or? It's a side hustle. That's what side I'll call hustle. it. I'm just going to be yeah. honest about it. Yeah. So, I mean, I work a 40 hour week job, um, okay. but I, some weeks I put in 25 to 30 hours more. Wow. So a lot of my, my photography outside of just doing it is I teach it. So, mm-hmm. you know, I'm, presenting or I do a lot of private photo lessons, things like that for people. So yeah. yeah so as much as I'd want, I don't know, I, I'm kind of torn. I'd love to do it full time, 
that would be great. But at the mm-hmm. same time, I don't want the stress yeah. <laughs> of, yeah. of relying on it because I'm not a portrait person. I can do it. It's not my strong point. Yeah. And like I was speaking at my last engagement about passion and passion projects. And I told him, if you're not passionate about what you're doing, then it's going to show. It's going to show to clients. And yeah. yeah, I did a wedding in February to help somebody who was in a bind. Their photographer had backed out. Was they truly passionate about it? No. Did they get images they loved? They did. I didn't. You know, mm-hmm. but yeah, it's it's not a full-time gig for me at this point, but you never know. Yeah. So how how do you balance it all? I mean, full-time job, you, you've got a family, I understand, and yep. this side hustle that's, you know, adding 20, 30 hours a week. How do you how do you balance it all and and That's you're a, still smiling. I know. Well, <laughs> most days you haven't talked to my wife. Um, you know, it's a challenge because most of my coaching clients, um, it's after work. So, you know, I get out at 4.30 and then I head to wherever we're meeting and I go through it. And it's a lot of just balancing like through the day. Like mm-hmm. I'm on lunch. I'm not just sitting there eating. I'm answering Facebook messages like, do you, do, can you fix my back focused lens? It's back focusing. You know, what do you charge for this? So I'm doing a lot of that in between, even on my 15, 20 minute breaks, or I'm yeah. at home and I'm very big on like answering as soon as you reach out. Like I have a message that pops up says, I will get back to you in 24 hours or less. Yeah. It's more like instantaneous if I have it. Um, wow. That's great. Yeah. So it's, that's a blessing and a curse. Because mm-hmm. a lot of people then rely on me. Like if I answer him right now, he will answer right back. And it's not always that way, but yeah, you try to do your best. Um, a lot of my clients and people I work with do understand I work a full-time job. Yeah. So they don't, they're like, when you get time, but it's just, it's just getting creative sometimes too. You know, I went out yesterday and did 200 miles of gravel travel, as we call it around here. Mm-hmm. And you know, some people messaged me and yeah, I'm in the middle of taking a photograph, but I also run a small business. So right. yeah, we can, you know, we can do this or we can figure out this date and time or, or whatever. So, but a lot of my clients understand that and are flexible. So, it's, and are they mostly local? Or are they mostly other folks in Iowa or? Yep. They're uh, very how? local, like within 50 okay. ish miles. I'm trying to break out more into that wider, you know, area, but most of it's, it's a little hard. Um, you know, if you just want to like learn Lightroom that I show across the, you know, I could really pull up zoom and show you how to run Lightroom, but a lot of that, that hands-on stuff is hard, you know, yeah. like trying to hold your camera up to your computer and be like, see, this is the button you need to have. And I'm a hands-on person. <laughs> yeah. Um, a little bit of my background too, is I actually, for about seven years, I managed our local camera store. That's how oh, nice. I got into this whole teaching thing all because gotcha. one guy had to leave work and they're like who for a long period of time like who's going to teach and they pointed at me and i'm like oh god no i can't do it in front of people now i love it if i could yeah. like literally do this 100 percent of the time teaching i would because it's the greatest thing is for me there's no for me to take what skills i've learned and my mistakes and teach them to somebody else so like you don't have to screw up i'll tell you how to screw up i've done it right where when i started like i said i started out in the world of photojournalism people i remember the very first time when was that? So I was in high school and I got this gig. I still can't believe they're like, here, you know, if you're familiar with Iowa, we're all big into the politics and the political thing come January. And right. everybody kind of jumps onto our state to they're like, pick me, pick me. Right. So the first time 
they're like, do you want to go out and photograph this? I don't even, I don't even know who it was anymore. Um, Edwards was his last name, John Edwards. And I got shoved into the wall by an Associated Press photographer oh, so gosh. he could get the shot. And I was a very timid person. I'm like, wow, that's how this world works. Right. You know, so I've had some interesting experiences <laughs> with photography. Yeah. And, you know, so it just, it, it's been a whirlwind. <laughs> sure has. Sounds like it. So I understand that a big focus of your photography lately, anyways, has been what you've just said, which is di- driving around the dirt roads of Iowa and documenting uh, disappearing rural and agricultural yep. communities there. And we'll talk about that more in a moment. But uh, I live in Vermont and um, I would I would argue that we rival each other with the percentage of roads that are gravel versus paved. <laughs> <laughs> And I actually looked it up because I was curious. And you do have us beat. You're at like 60%. We're at 55%. Oh, well, we're close. So, yeah. Um, and I'm, so I'm curious, do you guys have a mud season? Because that's what we're dealing with right now. I wouldn't call it a mud. Well, mud season on dirt roads, yes. Or as we, I don't know what you call them there, but we call them a, well, we have like different, I don't want to put it there, uh, maintenance B roads. Yeah. Which means they're not plot, nothing. They are what they are. So it's like enter at your own risk. Right. So I mean, it depends on how much rain we get. You know, I, I know better. Like I have learned to look at a road and be like, that looks really good, but don't tempt fate because right. under that crispy, dry looking layer is probably four inches of mud. Right. So, exactly. You know. Yeah. Yeah. We have roads that are just completely impassable right now that are normal normal roads like normal pe- people live on them and you know oh, buses yeah. have to travel them and everything and we get spots that are treacherous like you know you don't drive really fast because before you know it it looks good and then you're in the ditch right <laughs> because exactly the mud sucks you <laughs> off into the road ditch so yes exactly um well anyway i was just curious um so aside from from mud ruts um let's talk <laughs> a little bit about getting out of a creative rut yeah. Um, so I understand that you have a number of different uh, passion projects that you work on with your mm-hmm. photography, and uh, at least one of them has helped you out of a, a creative rut. And so I'm curious if you could talk a little bit first about how you approach photography projects um, mm-hmm. before we dive into the details of them, and then yeah. how they've helped you get out of a creative rut. Yeah. So I feel like, I don't know about most photographers, but I can, I can kind of feel my rut coming on. I don't know about you, but like, it seems like every two years I it's like this, I come off. Like if I have a, like a, I like to look at my years in summer. Like if I have a really good summer where I'm out photographing, and I'm just nailing photographs. I can guarantee you the next year, it's not going to be so great. Um, Interesting. Yeah. So like the passion project. So I was, so my very first, what I would call passion project is, is my ICM work. I don't know if I can really call it a project, but I'd like to call it a project. It's what, if I not feeling inspired, Mm -hmm. ICM does it every time because it's so totally different. So that's where I started out um, was my ICM project was I was in a job, which I loved the job at the camera store, but it's very gear oriented. Everybody wants to talk about gear. Everybody wants to talk about how my photo is going to be perfectly sharp. And over and over, I heard, well, none of my photos are sharp. And I'm like, no, they're not because you're not using a fast enough shutter speed. Or it's not that they're not sharp. You have spots that are sharp. It's your depth of field or whatever. 
Yeah. And they're like, no, it's my camera. I just need a new camera. And it was over and over. And I sort of beat my head into the wall. Yeah. And like we, I can, and I would tell people, I've seen people with say a Nikon D3200 at the time was $500 entry level DSLR. And I see people create beautiful work with an 18 to 55 and that because they're passionate about it. And that's, and they, and they learn the skills. Right. And then I know I've run into people with, two Nikon D4s at the time, you know, $6,000 cameras and 400 2.8s. And they can't take a picture to save their life, unfortunately. But they thought if they bought good gear, it would just do it for them. So a lot, I would hear that all the time. And it was draining, mentally draining. Yeah. You know, so I was like, I can't, I got to do something. So I was like, I just losing passion for work and just even shooting photos. Because people used to ask me, Justin, how do you talk photography all day long from 7.30 in the morning till 7.30 at night? And then you go and teach it from 6 to 10 p.m. And then you go out the next day and do it for yourself. Right. You know, and, and I think a lot of that built up where I got into that rut of it was just that monotony of let's talk about gear. And let's talk about sharpness. And one day it just dawned on me. I get the worst creative streaks like when i'm at work or i'm in the shower or i'm it's 2 a.m and some stupid idea pops into my head and wakes me up about photography and i thought why does everything have to be sharp why why do we always follow this like you know why do we do this and i started to ponder i was like why is everybody so adamant about everything being perfect that this youtuber said is i hate it when people said well justin said no this is photography is an art i don't care how you get to the end. It's not math. You don't have to do A, B, and C to get D. You can do it in whatever order. I don't care how you get the photo I tell clients. If you're getting the result you want, right? roll with it. I don't yeah. care how you got there. And I started pondering all these questions. So I thought, I thought I was onto something. I'd never seen ICM before. So I started doing it. I'm like, I've never seen this. And then I have a really good friend, Karen. I said, Karen, look at this. What do you think of these? She's like, oh yeah, that's ICM. <laughs> I'm like, what? Are you kidding me? She's right. like, yes, it's called intentional camera movement. I was like, oh, but but it's so different though. Like, yeah, you could go out and do it. So that's how I started my first project. And for me, I I like to break down my projects into a sense of short term or long term kind mm-hmm. of things. Like most, of, I don't like short term projects. Like some people say, oh, you could pick a lens and go out for the day and photograph. I don't know flowers with. 50 millimeters all day long. That in theory to me is a short-term project. Mm-hmm. But I think the point of projects is to start creating better bodies of work. Mm-hmm. I think you can only do that over a long-term period. Like if you need to get quick and do something quick, maybe to get you out of a little short-term rut, then those, those work. But yeah. I, really I think things down that I way. I think uh, those more short-term ones, like the examples you're giving are, are more for, you know, practicing a skill or sort yes, of getting yourself off the hook. Yeah. Like I don't need to be super creative right now. I just need to do this thing that sort of gets you focus on one particular, like a certain depth of field or a certain focal length or color versus black and white or something just to help you get unstuck. But it's yeah. not, not really a project so much as developing a, a body of work like you're body talking work, about. Exactly. So yeah. that's where my other two projects kind of come. But I totally agree. Like that short term you know, photo thing is for that technique or, you know, you're like, maybe like I tell people, if you buy a new lens, you got to get used to it. You got to know its limitations. Yeah. So yeah, only put your 50. If you just bought a nifty 50, 
throw it on, use it. Don't go to any other lens until you know how sharp it is at certain apertures or, or whatever you're trying to figure out. But when you learn your gear, I think that's what those little short one term to a week, couple week kind of thing is definitely. Yeah. yeah. So where do you get your other inspiration for your projects from? Like where, how did they come about? Yeah. So inspiration for my harvesting the heartland stories of the Iowa farmer. So that's where I go out and we interview Iowa farm families. Mm-hmm. Um, growing up in a rule, like I said, I think we're shaped as photographers and artists based off of what we're around. Spent mm-hmm. a lot of time growing up on my grandparents' farm. Nice. Um, being in that rural community and seeing how important it is and what Iowa does for the rest of the, the country. Mm-hmm. But this is kind of a funny story. So what got me going on the harvesting the heartlands is, I don't know, geez, I had a Thomas Mangelson notebook I bought from him ages. And I, I got to spend two months in Alaska. I was blessed to do that. And I came up and nice. I wrote on a page. This is like right after I got out of basic training with the army, I spent two months in Alaska and I, I found this book and that I had wrote projects in and I had two projects, farmers, that's all I wrote. And then the other one, people of Iowa. And that's where it left and for ages. So that thing sat in that like fifth page of that notebook for years. I was at photo pro. I was eating lunch one day and I'm at Taco Bell and these two like high school kids come in and sit down and they're talking about green beans, which is crazy. I'm like, I don't even know why I was listening. And this one kid's like, well, I don't like green beans. And the other kid's like, well, why? He's like, because they come in a can. That's why I don't eat them. <laughs> you and can't get them like, any other way. <laughs> no, no other way. Exactly. Very valid point. And I was like, what? I'm like green beans. And a funny, quick, fun fact is I also went to culinary school. So I've oh, always nice. felt like there's some interesting disconnect with people and where their food comes from. But yeah. I thought we grew up in Iowa. Like I expect that in New York City, not to shame people from New York City or big cities, but yeah, you're not around it. It's how we're shaped and how we live our lives and are brought up. So I thought, you know, well, whatever. They go on forever about these green beans. And I find a clue that's like, no, this kid just doesn't know where green beans come from. One did, right. one didn't. So then I thought, wow, whatever. So I just kind of ignored it, you know, and all these little things go into your subconscious. And then I actually took a, I was a part of the Linaria Photo Club here within Cedar Rapids area. I was president or vice president at the time and, or vice president. And we brought on Tyler Stableford. He's a Canon Explorers of Light if you're familiar with some of those guys and mm-hmm. he brought in and we bring, would bring him in like a big name to speak. And I got to do a workshop with him Nice, because he does, he calls them farmers and um, I call them ranchers, but we won't get into that. Um, but <laughs> he kind of has his project where he was photographing, I think for some ads and people, and then he took it on. And I thought, well, I, we should be able to do that here in Iowa. We have farmers. And then after these kids and that thing and the inspiration from that, I thought there's more to this story. Like Mm -hmm. I can take a picture of a farmer, but there's so much about them because if you know, especially from the Midwest, you'll find out that farm families and farmers are the most humblest people in the entire world. Mm -hmm. They do not gloat. They wake up, they do the hardest jobs in the world sometimes. And especially right now with fertilizer and all this stuff, it'll be interesting to see where things go. Yeah. But I realized that we're losing Iowa farm families left and right. Like every, I don't know. I just, I don't want to assume that everybody knows about it, but back in the eighties, Iowa, um, 
I think probably the Midwest went through the farm crisis Mm -hmm. and it was horrible. Farmers were losing farms, family farms and all that. And everybody's like, well, it's done and over with. And this is because of uh, government subsidies and that sort of thing. I think so. If I remember right. And then just economic things. And there was farmer suicides and, you know, if um, it used to be on YouTube, I know if you like Google Iowa public television, like farm crisis, you can watch it. And it's interesting because some of those people who were interviewed for this project or well, the Iowa public television thing were some people I knew from the Dunlap area, if I remember right. And that's where I grew up. And it's interesting. So I felt like, you know, we lose these farm families. So I started like, why can't I photograph these people? tell their story in a sense from not just like, are you a farmer? Yes. Like we, we've gotten some crazy information. (laughs) Like they just like, we would go and do so kind of as a background of the project is we go and somebody calls us and usually if a family friend or, or kids of the family and say, mom and dad are farmers. Okay. Talk to them. Let me come over and talk to them about it. And they usually say yes in the end, because I'm not PETA or I'm Mm -hmm. not there to show them in a bad light. Mm-hmm. And, and actually, before that, we, before yeah. we go into that more, yeah. could you define for people sort of the difference between family farming and agribusiness? Yeah, yeah. For what I know of it, um, so family farms are usually like a one. There's no help, is the way I look at it. It's all family driven, and then you get into your big agribusiness where some of these farms do get to that point where they're big operations. They're farming thousands of acres. They are, they treat it like a business. And I don't want to say that the family farms don't treat it like a business. What I have learned that it is a business to family farms here in Iowa, but it's more of a lifestyle. Like Mm -hmm. they have money and things invested on the line that it's kind of a life or death situation for them. Mm -hmm. That's how they make their living. Where to me, bigger agriculture is you've got hired hands. You're going to have that rotation of employees that kind of come through. Mm-hmm. Family farms, it's all in the family. Mm-hmm. So, okay. I mean, there's nothing. Some do have help, but very, very little. And it's different than like a, a CAFO farm. A what? A, a CAFO farm. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. So there's commercial agriculture. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You get those big commercial where it's, you know, we have that in Iowa. Don't get me wrong. I right. mean, we have those right. big but, farms that are much bigger operations. Um, I spoke yeah. to one family like they... They stock parts from John Deere. They, you know, they have a mechanic, you know, the, the farmer is not the mechanic. Like that, if it breaks down, they call them and say, Hey, the, the combine broke down. You, we need to get this up and running. They come out and they do it Yeah. where a family farm is going to have to call probably the dealership and, and hassle with that. And it's to me, the family farm is how agriculture started in the, in the U S and we're starting to see that fade away and these big farms taking over, unfortunately, not that that's a bad thing. I mean, but I don't know. That's one of those things I'm torn. (laughs) Yeah, no, I hear you. I mean, we, we see that happening in Vermont as well. You know, we Mm. we have had a, a large agricultural economy historically, um, obviously different than Iowa. We, we don't grow corn as easily here. Yeah. <laughs> it's more like <laughs> sheep and cows <laughs> and maple syrup. Um, oh, yeah. oh, well, can't go wrong with maple syrup. Right. Um, but it has declined significantly and, mm-hmm. and especially the dairy industry has. And so the farmers are really, uh, yeah, really two, suffering. 
three. Three of my families were dairy farmers. Yeah. Um, they are no longer. So since the yeah, start of the project, a- like one farm, we got there that day and they're like, hey, good thing you're here because the cows are leaving next week. We sold them all off. Dairy is a wow. struggle. A very big struggle. Yeah. Yeah. So tell us more about that. I'm sorry I interrupted you. I oh, just wanted fine. to define a couple of those things so that people understood what you were talking about yeah. um, who aren't familiar with with farming and agriculture yes. and in the U.S. and that sort of thing. So so tell us about the project. You know, your your how, it, how did it transpire and um, what are you doing? You're, 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 are you taking photographs of the farms and the families? Are you telling how are you telling their stories? I guess yeah. is my ultimate question. Yeah. Yep. So. It started out from wanting to show people even in Iowa, you know, because like literally from my house right now, I am five minutes from a farm and I'm in Cedar Rapids. It's a hundred thousand people city, but there are people who do not. I just assume a lot that people know where they're from. Mm -hmm. I forget that I grew up in a small town of less than a thousand people and moved to the big city. I have life experiences that most don't. In, in Iowa, in a sense, like I, I threw square bales by hand from the ground to a hay rack growing up. That's how that worked. Mm-hmm. And our family came together to do that. Where a lot of these kids in the bigger cities, they don't have that. Like we have old McDonald's farm, no offense here in town. It's got some animals. It's in the middle of town. That's the closest people get to farms. Yeah. So I wanted to start showing people in Iowa what I was about. Like I just assumed you're from Iowa. You, you know, no, a lot of people, I'm even showing Iowans what Iowans do. Yeah. So that led to that. And I thought, how am I going to do this? So I do do it through photographs. Like, you know, we, once they're on board, we go out and I photograph like, you can see, you know, viewers can't see, but behind me is one of them on the wall, um, on my banner there kind of thing. And that's, I get them. We go out. I don't pose them. I just say, stand here. I find out that most people will naturally pose themselves. I might have to tweak something a little bit, Mm -hmm. but I try to keep it natural. You know, like I say, show up on how you, you work the farm. Like we went to one and they're like, I got nice jeans on a nice shirt. (laughs) Cut the note. I'm I'm trying to show people what it really is. Yeah. It is a struggle. And I I have to show that, but I don't want to put them in a bad light that all they do is struggle. Right. So then that led to. How can, because I don't want to be like another photographer. You know, I don't want to be like Tyler Stableford and just take pictures of farmers and ranchers and say, that's it. So I'm like, how can I take this project? Well, I wouldn't even say it started out as a project. I I was just going to do this and I don't know, have a photo show and show some people. And then it just rolls and evolved into now we interview them. When I I had actually, let me take a step back. I had a really good friend, Brenda, who is my customer at the store where I worked. Mm -hmm. And she's like, you should interview them. And, and listen to their stories. And I said, Hey, do you want to help? So now she's in on it. <laughs> That's so great. she does the interviewing and, and transcripts and stuff. And we get to hear these great stories. So eventually we're going to cha- wrap this up into a book, I think, and get it out that way. I was going to do a photo show, but that's not a, that's not long-term enough. Like I'm hoping that someday yeah. somebody can find that book on a dusty shelf. Be like, what right. is this? And pull it off and like, wow, these people. So that's how it really started. And it just kind of rolled and evolved into this. Let's do this. And then let's do that. And then I'm thinking, I got to have, I, mean, I get some people who call me and they're like, I got some friends. They're in their twenties and they grow carrots. And I'm like, oh, okay. I don't want to say that nobody's not a farmer, but it's, I had to 
wrangle it in and say, this is truly about Iowa farms and, and small right. agriculture. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. So how many families have you interviewed so far? About seven or eight. If I okay. remember right on nice. the top of my head. Yeah. yeah. COVID put a damper on a lot of things. And then sure. last year motivation <laughs> took a damper because of COVID. Yeah. And so we're trying to get back into it. Um, but And how are you getting the word out to potential families? Yeah. So it's been Facebook. So okay. how it all started too, let me take a step back. I should have mentioned like, I just got this harebrained idea. I'm very spontaneous. Mm-hmm. I will decide I'm going to do something. And I, I feel like if I put it out to the world on Facebook or social media, I, it's my accountability tool. Yes. So I put it out yeah. one night and said, would anybody be interested if I were to photograph your farm family or, you know, a farm family. And I woke up to the next morning with messages and comments like, yes, please. Yes, please. So that's kind of how it started a little bit and kind of just rolled, rolled in from there. Nice. Um, so it's, it's crazy. <laughs> and how do you, so I, I've, um, I love the idea of doing passion projects and photography mm-hmm. projects, and I've tinkered with a couple of my, of my own that sort of are there in the background, but I haven't, I don't have any long-term plans with them yeah. yet. Um, but I, I, I have to say, I admit, I am very shy about photographing people and it's just not where my comfort is. And so I focus on, you know, the landscape without people in it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so yep, I would, I'd way. be, I'd be the person like photograph, like I'd like to get the barn or the rusty tractor, but you step aside. <laughs> yeah. Um. So how do you, how do you one, I, you know, I think my discomfort in it is making sure that they're comfortable with me photographing them, you know, yes. so they don't feel like they're in the spotlight or I'm, how do you help them feel comfortable so that they're presenting an authentic side of themselves to you. Yep. So I don't show up. We've met before. That's the great thing. And we're not meeting. So when I go to in terms, pitch the project to them, we, I, we, Brenda and I show up and we just tell them what we're doing. I show them photographs saying, see, this is what it's like to be in front of the camera. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to bark orders at you. And then we kind of, it's an icebreaker that first meeting. And when they say, yes, we come back the second time. It's like, Hey, how are you? We also bring cookies. Nice. So <laughs> we <helps>. do because <laughs> with farming and farm families have always found out is you don't like when we would go, they're like, do you want this? Do you want, are you hungry? Do you I'm like, Whoa, hold on. You know? So I do that. We bring these great cookies from a local bakery. Nice. And that kind of breaks the ice and we've already met. So we've already talked through a lot of things Mm-hmm. And they feel comfortable with me. I feel comfortable with them. It's it's not like I show up and you're like, do you want to do this? And they're like, yeah. And then I'm like, okay, let's go out to the barn and photograph. Right. It, it's it's a very long-term process overall. So, yeah. you know, we kind of break that ice and get to know each other. And then when I come around to photographing, it's usually, hey, how are you? It's a first name basis. Right. You know, and we just go from there. And it's just like, we talk a lot in between. Like, I don't photograph and then stop. You know, and like I, we're talking all the time or we're, I'm telling them a story or they're telling me another story that I didn't hear about when we interviewed them prior and things like that. So there's that icebreaker in there. Yeah, that is nice. And then do you kind of shadow them for the day or is it more like, um, you know, they've set aside some time at a they've certain set, part of the day? Yeah, yeah, they've set aside some time. Um, yeah. We I, I I'm very open and say I'm not here to take up all your time. I mean. 
that he was bailing, hey, one of our farmers and his wife was on the cell phone. They're here to take your photos. And I just said, no, when he is done, like this to me, their work is more important than my work. If I have to sit there all day long, I'm fine with that because I need them to do it when they're ready. Because if they're not ready, it's going to be rushed. They're not going to be that relaxed kind of thing. And Mm -hmm. it's just not going to go well. So it's all on their time. If, I mean, if I drove there and drove two hours to photograph a farmer and they're like, sorry, not today, changed my mind, I would drive back home. It's never happened. But if it were to happen, I'd be okay with it. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. And I bet that builds some of that rapport too, that they, you know, can trust you in that. It's that trust because that's the biggest thing um, is trust. I'm in sales for a living 40 hours a week and relationships and trust is big and and anything of of access. If you're doing a project where you need, I, in my last spiel that I was talking about, there's two biggest time, there's two biggest issues with passion projects, especially with people it's Mm -hmm. time and access. Mm-hmm. It's you got to have that access and you're probably going to strike out, but if you can build it and get it, then once you have those two things, it just rolls really easy. Yeah. And it sounds like on your end, it has to be persistence and patience. <laughs> it is. Yep. And I tell them, yeah. I pitch it once and I tell the families, you know, the daughter, it's going to talk to mom and dad about it. If they are against it, at least let me come up and talk to them about it. If they want to. Awesome. If they don't, I will never call them again because yeah. Farming's a small community. Iowa's a small state. Word will get around. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so Yeah. So how many more families are you hoping to interview before you would call the project finished? Uh, the number's always been 20. That's mm-hmm. in my in my head. I don't know if that will be the final. It won't be more than 20. It's got to be more than 10. So 10 to 20. I mean, mm-hmm. it's hard. It's yeah. That's where I've lost. I don't want to say I've lost the passion for it, but I've lost a little bit of like keeping it going because it is hard to get that access. Yeah. So when you're out there, are you mostly relying on natural light or are you bringing in strobes and other sorts of lighting? Because I imagine like some most of the time you're probably outdoors, but are you yes. also sort of like in the milking barn and, and that yep. sort of thing? So 90% of the time, so let's put it this way. I don't know where I'm going to photograph. So my vehicle is full of every conceivable piece of gear. And so I take a 52 inch Octabox, like a 32 ish inch Octabox. And I take two ProMaster um, unplugged 500 watt, 400 watt lights wow. just to have. So they can do high speed sync off camera, all that jazz. Like I'm ready for if I need them, they don't come out. 90% of these are natural light. Okay. Um, I have done some, what I want to say, strobe stuff off camera. It's never mm-hmm. on camera. Um, I did do one portrait of James and Janet McLaren in their milking parlor. I'm not a person as a landscape photographer to take that ISO and go way, way high. Right. I mean, I was at like 12,800. <laughs> Whoa. Yeah. One, because I didn't have that milking parlor was so small. I couldn't bring in a 52 inch Octabox. Right. I was limited to my gear. So I had to look at that situation and say, what can I do? I did an on-camera flash, a Nissan Speedlight DI600 is what I used. It worked, but I don't love on-camera flash, so I ditched it. Mm -hmm. I took some with, some without, and I just said, you know what? This is the time. It's okay. 12,800 ISO. It did give a little bit of graininess and grit to Mm -hmm. that, that photograph. 
um, then, and I went black and white with it just because that's where I felt like it worked best. Yeah. And once you know their story, I think the photo is going to nail it next to that story yeah. of how gritty this, this family is and how hard they've worked. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, that's cool. So but yeah, I mean, I take it that. all, every lens, every, you know, two saw, I even take a strip box with me. I just don't know what I'm going to run into. Right. So I got to be prepared. I don't ever want to say I wish I could have, would have. So. Right, right. And it's nice that you have had some of that, you know, weddings, portraits and, and you know, event sort of photography backgrounds so that you can be thinking on the fly and you know how to use. I mean, I'd, I've, I'd have no experience with strobes and things like that, so I wouldn't yeah. even know where to begin. But yeah, so it's that's good. It's nice to be able to bring all those, you know, genres yeah, back skills. together again. Yep. Yeah, exactly. It's nice to have it. I always say I'd rather need it and have it and not need it and need it kind of thing. So. Right. Right. That makes sense. So when you're, when you're thinking like a landscape photographer, generally we're going for, you know, deep depth of field and that sort of thing. And you're doing environmental portraits. So you, you want to get the portrait of the person, but you're also capturing the environment to help tell the story. So are you still trying to, you know, portraiture, you think shallow depth of field landscapes, you think deep depth of field. So how do Mm -hmm. you make that determination and where do you tend to fall on the line there. Yeah. So I would say from the interviews that we, we do, that's where I pull a lot of my locations out to photograph or we're just walking around and they're like, Oh, I remember this or, Oh, this is just this barn. And we do this and you'll remember something. So I'll go over there and photograph. But when it comes down to, I, I don't go like super shallow depth of field Mm -hmm. Um, because I remember a photograph I did outside of James and I had him lean up against the the front of the tractor. And I do. I go to that mentality of portrait, shallow depth of field. And I do it. And then I'm like, the like you said, environmental portrait. So all those, those pieces and elements need to be within the photograph to kind of tell part of the story. Yeah. Because if I blurred out the tractor like I originally did and thought, you wouldn't know what it was. It's just a guy in black and white. Mm-hmm. against something but we don't know what it was so you know i i don't go like f22 or f8 it's more like five six may maybe f8 it just depends on the lens um i love the 70 yeah. to 200 mm-hmm. um two eight for a lot of my stuff i shoot the tamron the uh, g2 version yeah i love 200 millimeters at f4 that's yeah. my sweet spot so that's where i'll do it so it, i felt like for me that gave me just enough bokeh in the background, but we can still start telling what's in the background. So it's yeah. just, I'm a gut. I tell people I'm a gut instincts photographer. Mm-hmm. I just go, people say, well, what's the number I need to add contrast in Lightroom? I said, I don't know. I just move the slider until I look at the screen. I'm like, bam, that's where I want it. That's right. how I, that's how I <laughs> shoot a lot of these photographs is I'm like, okay, click. Okay. Technically looking, nah, I need some more depth of field or whatever. And I'll, I'll be about back and forth. But a lot of it is just straight from the gut. I probably yeah. break so many rules of the portrait world, but that's okay. <laughs> well, I love the images. They're, they're beautiful. I looked at them on Thank your you. website. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I understand you have another project as well. Uh, Pop 500. Is that one yeah. still ongoing as well? Yeah. That one's probably the one I work on the least. Um, okay. But that's a project that takes no planning. I can feel like I need to do it. So Pop 500 is where I travel the state of Iowa and I've compiled a list from Google of all the cities in Iowa. And I have threw them in a spreadsheet and I reversed it. So it shows me the least populated town to the most populated town. 
Hmm. I then sorted it by county. And then I went into Photoshop and created a map. And on my map is every county of Iowa. And it has a number. And it might be zero or nine or 10 or 11, whatever it is. And that is how many cities or towns, we'll call it, in Iowa or in that county that have a population of 500 or less. Wow. That's the thing is I photograph it. So it's mo- it's buildings. It's usually buildings or unique things that I find, even like dumpsters and brick wall together. That's because a lot of people just drive through these small towns and, and don't bat an eye. Yeah. And that's really where a lot of, I think, Iowa is unique mm-hmm. is all these small little places. I've, I mean, there's a lady that I photographed in Delta, Iowa at a grocery store. She's the only person I photographed for the project, but it's literally like reminds me of Mayberry, like stepping back in time. Like, yeah, we went into this grocery store. I don't even know if the town has 150 people in it. I'd have wow. to look at my spreadsheet, but these people come in, the guy like throws a Dr. Pepper on the counter, a pack of cigarettes and buys two lottery tickets. Mm-hmm. She has a ticker tape machine literally like an accountant, adds it all up, rips it off. He signs the bottom of it, doesn't know what it is, and he walks out the door. I don't know anywhere in the state of Iowa you can have a charge tab. We have one in my local town here in Vermont. Oh, (laughs) And I was just like, really? I'm like, you trust those people to come back and pay their bill? But it's a small town. Everybody, I guess, does it. Right. But she, I asked her, she's like, I was like, how do you get the food for the grocery store? And she told me, well, I buy it at like Hy-Vee, which is our big grocery chain. Yeah. And then she brings it and just marks it up and throws it on the shelf and people buy it. Like wow. things are written on the box and marker. There's no sales. T- it, it's wow. great. I mean, wow, it's such amazing. an interesting place. So that's what I wanted yeah. to show people. So I started doing that project is kind of showing people what we are missing mm-hmm. or don't blink an eye when you go through these towns. These people still live there. There are still some viable. And I'm seeing a lot of just in the world of photographers, like portrait photographers, it's expensive to rent a studio space in Cedar Rapids. For me, I went to get an office in town. It was $500 a month for me to get an office to teach from or meet clients at. You can go to these small towns and I'm seeing people. I have a really good friend, Gina. She bought this super cool old bank and has redone it in her hometown of Oxford, Iowa. And that's her portrait studio. It's beautiful. Wow. And I see like, all this little rejuvenation of Iowa coming back. Wow. That's you know, cool. even these small towns who are repainting the old like flower, you know, Archer flower, whatever brands of when billboards were painted by hand on the side of brick buildings. Right. They're re, they're, yeah. We're like reviving these small towns. That's awesome. And yeah. I want to start photographing them before they're all gone or we fix them up and make them look good again. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that sounds like a fun project. Yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah. I get. I I'm at most in peace when I'm in my truck just driving. Mm-hmm. Like the better the rural roads, the better. Like I love it when I see grass growing in the cracks of the highway. That's why nice. I'm happiest. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. So, would you say? I mean, it sounds like with the the Heartlands project, that's very pre-planned. You know, yes. because you have to make these relationships work and and all of that. But would you say for the rest of your photography, whether it's project oriented or not, it's sort of more free form and in the moment, sort of what's inspiring you as you're driving around? Yeah. Yeah. Because I mean, I keep that notebook or my spreadsheets and my map that I created in my truck. And one of those, like I call them the police officer clipboards with all the different levels and I got all this stuff in it. So if I say like, I'm going to go out, I'm going to go out and drive gravel roads today and photograph Iowa landscape and I'm not digging it. I can pull that out and look and be like, Ooh, I'm here. 
on my navigation in the truck and then say, wow, this county next to me has got 10 towns. I'm going to go to these. And then I just get my spreadsheet. I'm like, oh, this one sounds interesting. I punch it into my GPS and I go there and I drive around. I'm nice. like, eh, this one, I find something to photograph. I don't onto the next one. So it's like passion projects. Like those, those have come to like, if something's not working out, I can just gravitate towards it. Yeah. And then I've started a new one too. So I always got lots of projects. <laughs> well, that's going. great. What is it? So it's called the everyday I one. I haven't, I had it set up to go back. I want to kick it off in my hometown. Mm-hmm. And like I said before, I ones don't know I ones. Right. So I've got the lighting set up. Um, I'm going to go back home and I'm just going to photograph people. I'm going to ask them one question and we'll see where this whole project evolves to, but I'm going to ask them the question, what does it mean to be I one? That's all I want to know. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's some people told me it's like, oh, your portrait work on a white background. It feels very Richard Avedon. I don't know mm-hmm. if I like that or not, but mm-hmm. you know, I've taken two test shots, one of my wife and one of my nine-year-old daughter in the living room at the house. I've got it kind of figured out. I had it set up for February and I had so many people reach out, friends, oh, nice. family and say, we're coming to the city hall to help you. Like, it's so great. Like, and I'm getting this traction where people want to be a part of it and ask me about it. I don't have to reach out to them. That's, that's And then great. it snowed yeah. and I have a four hour trek across the state. And even with a four wheel drive truck. I wasn't going to risk it. Yeah. So I'm going to have to probably do it hopefully April or May or sometime this summer, but it's going to be called the everyday Iowan. I think I'm going to do a photo book of that one too. I'm into books. Yeah. I've had this like burning fire inside of me for years to add author, I guess, to my list of things. <laughs> I don't know. So, Well, it sounds like you have a lot, a lot of ideas cooking. So that's great and exciting. I, always, and... I am a dreamer. That is yeah. my problem. I am a dreamer. <laughs> So of all these projects and of all the people you've met, do you have any fun stories that you would like to share or adventures or unexpected uh, consequences that you found yourself in? Well, I get stopped by the cops a lot um, (laughs) (laughs) because when you're driving around these small towns and you're circling, you know, everyone knows everybody like I've never seen that truck before that car before. Yeah. You know, or every once in a while, you'll just be there and I'm in the truck and I'm sitting there and I don't know if somebody calls the cops or I'm just unlucky that somebody like rolls up and it's usually a a deputy sheriff. I'm like, what are you doing? Uh, (laughs) Photographing small towns. They're like, that's weird. I think the best one, though, was with my ICM. I was in a road ditch. And, you know, with ICM, you're jerking the camera around. Right. And I had left my car door open at the time. And I get that way. I get excited and I jump out and I leave the doors wide open. I run down and then I'm, I'm whipping around this camera and I'm jerking up and down. And, <laughs> and I hear like, there's just a, for me, I know I'm so much time on gravel roads. I know the distinct sound of rubber tires slowly cracking over gravel. Right. And I'm like, okay, that sounds like a cop or, or somebody who's interested. And I slowly look over and the, this guy's like, are you Okay. Yeah. I'm like, oh yeah, sorry. I left my car door open. Yeah, it looks really weird. Like I just abandoned the car. He's like, no, you were like jerking in the road ditch. And I'm like, oh that. And then I get really passionate about it. I'm like, God, I run out of the road ditch. I'm like, hey, do you want to see this? Look what I did. And they're like, okay, crazy guy with the camera. I'm like, and the, I remember the wife leaning over and she goes, it's blurry. And I'm like, yeah, I know it's supposed to be. And she's like, okay, I thought you wanted like 
whatever photographs that people could tell. No, that's the whole point. And you just could feel the tension, like we're going to roll up our window hon, and drive slowly. I'm like, okay, I'll let him go. I'm like, well, have a good day. Thanks for stopping. Because that's Iowa. People say yeah. Iowa nice. Yeah. And that happens. You know, I was, I was out yesterday actually photographing just up in Clayton County, which is Northeast Iowa. I don't get up there a lot. It's about two hours Northeast. It's up by Effigy Mounds um, National Historic monument part of the national park service and i'd never been up there and i was just like there's nowhere to eat so i took one of these they're called o meals there i i took them on my uh trek to badlands national park in june last year and it's like an mre if you're in the military and you just open it up throw it in there they're actually pretty good mm-hmm. so i thought well I'm, i know where i'm going there'll be no food so and i want to eat gas station food so i took one of those and i'm just I just pulled over the truck on a gravel road when I got hungry and I popped the tailgate down and started cooking my lunch there and eating it. And I'm scrolling through Facebook and, you know, eating my lunch and the lady stops. She's like, are you okay? I'm like, yeah, why? She's like, well, I just noticed you were pulled over and oh, she looks like, looks like you're enjoying your lunch. Yeah. Well, have a good day. That's <laughs> just, you know, I was hungry. It was at the moment. So I did. Right. So you never know what you're going to run into. You know, I don't know. When yeah. was it? Four a month ago or two months ago, I don't photograph eagles. It's not my gig. I'm not a wildlife person. Mm-hmm. I don't have a big enough lens anymore for it. But I had a friend I went with and we were down by the river and I'm like, this seems really weird. This car has been here for like days. So then I, you know, snooping around. So I'm like, well, there's something about like, I should just really just go and I should call the police department just to be safe. And no, I found a stolen car. So then I had to stay there till the cops took care of it. And then we weren't photographing anymore. My, you know, oh, I was like, oh, he's got yeah. my thing of these predicaments where I should be taking right. photographs. And I'm talking to the cops about a stolen car and how I found it. And I'm just like, oh, so right. I had a friend at work who's like, you just have the most interesting things that you go out and photograph. I know I find interesting things or things that I get caught up in. Right. <laughs> exactly. Caught up in. Yeah. I don't have any, anything that compares to that, but um, <laughs> yeah, I do get self-conscious if I'm around, you know, photographing farms in Vermont and, yeah. you know, if people are sort of like, why, what are you doing? Like, why are you pointing? I see, you know, people have a strong sense of privacy around here. And so we do too. Yeah. And so I always feel I'm very conscious of not being intrusive. And so if I see anyone, I'm not going to stop. And No, I uh, will pass up a photograph if I think there's a small, or I get nervous when the, the dogs come out because then yeah. they start drawing attention to me and I got to get going. But, yeah, you know, I, I did have a guy stop me one day and he's like, you know, that's so-and-so's barn and you can't photograph it. And I'm like, oh, I get those too. And I'm like, well, yeah. I'm not doing, he's like, are you a professional? And I'm like, well, yeah, I'm a professional photographer. And he's like, are you going to sell that picture of that barn? Well, I could. I mean, there's a probability. I'm not going to say no, Well, you right. can't do that. That's his barn. I'm like, oh, it's not really how it works, but right. I'm not a lawyer and I'm not <laughs> going to school you on how this works. I'm not trespassing. Yeah. And I found out, I learned from another photographer friend. He's like, just tell him you're a painter. So one time <laughs> I did it, I told the guy, I'm like, no, I'm a painter. And he got so really he- confused because on my, when I had my car, I had my logo and it said Justin Tedford photography on the back window. Yeah. And he's like, you're a painter. Well, yeah. And he just got really confused. And I found out that worked best. He got so confused. He didn't know what to do. So he left. <laughs> you're confused. So him. For me. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Confuse him. The more they're confused, the less they'll leave, the more they'll leave you alone. That's funny. <laughs> well, so uh, just briefly, I noticed on your Facebook page that you, one of the products that you sell is calendars. Yes. And I've been curious and I know other photographers who want to start generating revenue in their business. Mm -hmm. You know, they've thought about calendars as a possibility and everything. 
And so do you, have you found them to be a worthwhile endeavor? Would that be something you recommend people yeah. pursue? They, they take a lot of time. Um, I'm, how do I want to put that? So I'm a perfectionist. I feel like mm-hmm. everything must be perfect before I submit it to the world. And yeah. when I do that, I don't have success. And when I just randomly throw something out there, it seems to be more successful. Interesting. So yeah. I've, I think as all photographers, we all want to create a little bit of income and it's hard to sell fine art print to somebody to hang on their wall. That's not kind of how the world goes. Mm-hmm. A lot of people view my work on Facebook and I go, oh, it's so pretty and it's nice. And they like it and photographers chase the emojis of the heart and the caring. And I've come to conclude that I can't call Squarespace up and say, I got 63 hearts this month. Can it pay my bill for my website? It doesn't work that way. So it's right. like, what can I do? And somebody's like, you should do a calendar. And I'm like, that's a horrible idea. It's horrible. No one uses a calendar. We have them on our phone. It's yeah, digital. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Who does that? So one thing I will say about the calendar is in the sense, it's a lot of time because you have to think of it as a long-term thing. You have to plan for the next year after you figure out last year. So you have to, I don't repeat any photographs every year. So I feel a little pressured and stressed to get good photographs to go into it. Mm -hmm. Um, I've had really good luck in the past where I let my purchasers name the calendar. Oh, nice. I do a contest because I'm horrible at coming up with names. So I could sit here all day with 85 names on the wall and I can't pick one or they all sound horrible. So I will say, I will give you a free calendar. In some years, it's successful. Some, it's not. I don't think I did it this year. I think the hardest part with it outside of the the time is the distribution part. Mm-hmm. Like to make it easy, if you have a website and it has an e-commerce store, right? just set it up to sell. I don't do it that way. Um, I should more because people message me on Facebook. I'll take 10. I'll take five. I'll take one. And I compile a spreadsheet. Um, but I think it's one for this year. I've sold the most 52 to be exact. Nice. Which was good. Um, one for each week. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. So everybody, <laughs> I had some people who ordered 10. I get a lot of people who order it for Christmas gifts. Oh, that's a good and idea. And you got to yeah. think of the calendar. The first time I did a calendar, I did it at an art show and I ordered 10 because it was May. No one thinks about the following year in May. We're, right. we're just into yeah. the new part of the year. Yeah. And I sold out. Wow. And I actually took orders there. So this year I try to make it, um, what do I want to say? Feel like a little sense of urgency. I think if you do it, mm-hmm. like I tell people I'm only going to order so many runs. Like I, I do it is I don't order a hundred and then hope I sell a hundred. I order only what I need to order with mm-hmm. an extra few. Yeah. But I think if it's something you're getting into, it's the easiest way for people in, to enjoy 12 of your, you know, um, photographs year round at an affordable price because you're not right. going to find somebody that's going to order a 60 by 60 acrylic wall mount print for a thousand plus dollars. Somebody might, but greeting cards were the same way for me. People are like, I bought your greeting cards at an art show. One lady asked me, can I just cut them off and frame them? I said, you can do whatever you want. You can throw them in the <laughs> yeah. garbage for all I care. I guess you bought them. I'm, I don't worry what you do with them. So yeah, yeah, they've they've been um I think the biggest time too I should mention is find somebody who can do the calendar and do it well. Find like a national print lab like McKenna at a Waterloo. They've mm-hmm. uh, Waterloo, Iowa. They they print for nationally. They go to big photo conventions. They do a great one. I did this year, I did it through Smart Press out of mm-hmm. um Minnesota. Um they were great. 
Like they had all these options, like almost too much. Like they sent me a swatch book of every paper. I could pick the cover photo, like the, the poundage of that paper, the internal, I could put a plastic spiral, a metal that I wanted more customization this year. Yeah. So that's why I went with them and they were great. I had no issues. They even let me do a, what I would call a pre-production sample where they printed one up for me. Yeah. So I could see the real deal before I spent money on somebody. Yeah. And that's good. I made sure my color came back and it was great. And I would say, yeah, definitely on a calendar. It's going to, you're going to have to build time. The first year is probably going to stink. The second year is going to get better, but it's hooking your person into and then reminding them and compiling like a list of customers. They'll forget, send out an email and say, Hey, did you want a calendar? You did 10 last year. I mean, it is a lot of work. Yeah. But it's an easy way to get your work out there right. at an affordable price. I sell them for 20 bucks. Could I get probably 30? I might be able to, but I want to be affordable and I want my work. If you can't afford a $400 fine art print or right. even a $75 eight by 10 that I print myself on Hana Mule fine art paper, guess what? You can afford this and you can have 12 of my photographs. And I think that's what most people enjoy. Right. Yeah. So definitely try it. You can't, you're never going to know if you don't try. That's You're true. only going to have failure. So try it. If you fail, try again. If you three or four years in a row and it's not working, then just stop. It's right. nothing other than time, right. truly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's good advice. Thank you. Yeah. You're welcome. <laughs> um, well, before we wrap things up, are you up for doing a lightning round? Yeah, sure. Let's go for it. All right. I'm always up for something. Okay. Spontaneous. <laughs> so what's your favorite subject to photograph? Ooh, rural landscape. What's one piece of gear you can't live without that's not your camera, lens, or tripod? Ooh, it's not my... Hmm. Boy, there's so many. My ND filter. I use that thing a lot. Which... What level? Oh, um, I do a variable. Um, I like 10 stops. If I have to pick one, it's 10 stops. I like nice. to blur everything. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, what's your favorite way to eat corn? Oh, on the cob. It's yeah. sweet corn. It's Iowa, man. It's I know. Butter, salt, and pepper. All on. Boil it salt up. Don't pepper. cut it off the cob. That's that's Yes, no, there. it's got to be on the cob. I agree with that. I've not put pepper on mine, though. Just butter and salt. Oh, have you ever yeah. used, have you ever done lime? No, but it'd be like Mexican street corn, kind of. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. yeah That'd be good, good, though. Yeah. Um, if you could give one piece of advice to a younger version of yourself, what would it be? Oh, have more fun. Don't, I'm such a serious person. I be spontaneous. Like if I could go back to my twenties, yeah, I would just, I would just pack a bag and go somewhere and not think things through. Like how much money am I going to have? And how do I get there? Like I still, I think before I die, I need to do that. I just need to go somewhere and not worry about having a hotel room or a camping spot. Just need to do it. I would definitely go back and not take things so serious. Yeah, that's great. Uh, what is your favorite thing about what you do? In photography? Yeah. Or just, oh, I think it's just sharing what I tell people. And people ask me, Justin, as a photographer, what do you do? It's, I enjoy sharing the uns- the everyday things and showing people, showing them in a different light. When people mm-hmm. say, where's that at? And I say, that's this location. I've lived here for 30 years. I've driven past it probably 90% of my life. I didn't know it was there. That's what I enjoy. Yeah. Just showing that everyday thing in a different light. I love that. Um, so final question, what does connecting with nature mean to you? 
Ooh, for me, it's just getting out. I think that just getting out and experiencing it. And like, as a landscape photographer, I'm so worried about, you know, photographing what's in front of me. Mm-hmm. Like when I went up to effigy mounds yesterday, I didn't take any photos while I was there, but just connecting, like listening to nature. Like I recently did a video and posted it to my Facebook page of just, there's a couple sandhill cranes that hang out at a local area. They show up every year, I believe. And it was just to sit there. I sat on a log and just listened to nature. That's what I think everyone needs to do. Like, don't yeah. take your cell phone. Don't do anything. Disconnect from the digital world. I yeah. need to do that more. Yeah. And it was just for me to connect and just listen because that's, it reminded me of my childhood. I didn't have a cell phone growing up. Mm-hmm. I had to create entertainment. Like I, like if I could, that's what I was, I was telling the, the group at PPI was how we're shaped as photographers is how we go back. Like I've tried to figure out what am I always chasing? Like, why do I photograph rural Iowa and why do I travel the gravel roads? I'm chasing my childhood. I think mm. because I grew up on my grandparents' farm. I remember just like as a kid, like I was allowed to go wander off into the woods by myself. Yeah. I wouldn't let my child do that today. It terrifies me. Yeah. I was nine or 10 or less. And I'd go up and just play around, play on old farm equipment in the woods and stuff. That's, I think that's what I'm trying to do is just chase my childhood. <laughs> so yeah. that's, where I, that's where I probably the best days of my life. So it's just getting out and doing it and disconnecting and just reconnect or even going back to whatever, whatever you used to do. But yeah, I think we all need to reconnect with nature more. The world would be a lot better place. Yes. Well said. (laughs) (laughs) Well, this has been so much fun, Justin. I really appreciate you taking the time and sharing so many stories with us and and your advice and everything. And I understand that you're going to offer the listeners 35% off some mentoring sessions with you. So if they want to find out more about that, how would they go about doing that? Yep. They can head out to my website, uh, tedfordphoto.com. So that's T-E-D-F-O-R-D.com. There's a contact thing. Just go out there. I always do a free consultation. And what I will tell people is if you're like, Justin, teach me how to blend 15 exposures in Photoshop. I I cannot do that just to forewarn you. It's on my list of many to do's, but I'm not going to say, Hey, yeah, I can do that. And when you get there with me, I'm like, uh, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm totally open and honest. So yeah, if it's something you want, even if it's a, like, let's look at 20 of my images and how they could be better or think, you know, that, that 35% applies, but I always do a free consultation for an hour. Um, and just, you know, get to know you, look at it and say, okay, I think I can help you as a coach or I can't help you because I don't want to take your money because that does not do anybody any good. So yeah, Yeah. they're more than welcome to reach out that way or go out to Justin Tedford photography um, on Facebook and send me a message there Mm -hmm. and, or Justin at Tedfordphoto.com. That's my email. Okay. So just reach out and I'll be try to answer back as quickly as possible and get you where you need to go. Well, that's great. We we all appreciate that so much. So thank you. Yes, I always tell people there are no secrets with me. Yeah. I'll tell you the secret sauce <laughs> recipe. Yeah. <laughs> well, this has been a lot of fun. Thank you so much, Justin. Yeah, thank you for having me. It was great. All right. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Justin. And again, you can find out more about his photography and mentoring programs on his website at tedfordphoto.com. And he's also very active on Facebook. So be sure to check him out there as well. And I'll have all the links in the show notes at outdoorphotographypodcast.com slash 53. Again, thank you, Justin, for coming on the show. And thank you, dear listener, for tuning in. 
I appreciate you and I hope you got a lot of value out of today's episode. We have several exciting guests coming up on the podcast, including Michael Fry, Shane Walls, and John Putnam. So be sure to follow the podcast on your favorite player so you don't miss out on any of our upcoming episodes. And last but not least, I'll be back here next week with a Tidbit Tuesday episode where I'll give you a tip and or answer your submitted questions. So if you have a question you'd like me to answer or a topic that you'd like to suggest for a Tidbit Tuesday, just click the link in the episode description or go to outdoorphotographypodcast.com and you'll be able to record your message. Till then, get outside, my friends, and find yourself a little nature. Take care.